premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired and preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, as our final authority. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, it's about that time for another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God. And folks, wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you're listening to this on, it's my prayer that you find yourself in the grace, the mercy, and the protection of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So before we get into the Bible study this morning, would you please visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And while you're there, go over to our contact section, send us a message, any questions, any comments, uh, prayer requests, you know, whatever's on your heart and mind. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, if you don't like to use those web forms, that's fine by me. You can use uh, our email address and email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And also, while you're on the website, now, again, this is part of the, the intro that I hate to do, uh, so I'm really not good at asking for support. But if you want to help this ministry and getting the gospel out, helping us to expand, keep the lights on, servers going, you know, you name it, anything that uh, is related to product, producing this podcast, would you please pray about and consider a monthly contribution? Uh, we've set the contribution amounts at $0.99 cents a month, four ninety nine a month, and nine ninety a month. And you do that by clicking that Support This Podcast button on our website and uh, just praying as the Lord leads you to do it. Uh, also, I'd like to say thank you to our uh, current supporters, those of us who support us prayerfully and those who us, those who support us financially already, uh, and of course to all of our listeners, because without you, we wouldn't be doing this. So thank you so much for being here faithfully every week. And if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please visit us at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m., and we have a Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For more information, would you visit the church's Facebook page? Uh, just search for Facebook. Just search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass on Facebook, and when you get there, you'll find a, a, an awful lot of uh, really helpful information, uh, things that we support, and you'll also find episodes of this podcast. And speaking of finding the podcast, we are on Spotify. Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. So, wherever it is that you're listening, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now that we got that out of the way, let's uh, let's get just to a couple of announcements. Nothing, uh, nothing earth-shattering or groundbreaking. Uh, this, this episode coming up will be the last episode for season one. We're going to take a week off and then we're going to, uh, scrap the whole season thing and come right back in with the, with a new set of Bible studies. And then, um, also we're going to try a little feature, uh, coming into the next season, uh, where you can email me any question, any Bible related question that you have, and, uh, we'll select it. We'll select a question out of the bunch. And we'll do our best to answer that question. This is not going to be Stump the Preacher, 
Okay. So uh, we're going to do the best we can, though, to answer those questions as they come in. It'll be a challenge for me and a blessing, I hope, for you. And so get those emails coming in. Uh, prayer requests. So we do have some prayer requests. Um, we have the usual uh, that we have, Bernice and Adam. Bernice is a sister in our church, and she is uh, she's dealing with cancer. And uh, Adam is her husband, and he's doing the best he can to take care of her, the family, his job, everything that uh, goes along with it. So uh, we're going to pray for Bernice. We're going to pray for Adam. We also want to pray for Pastor Martin. Uh, he's a pastor in Ohio. He's actually my pastor's pastor, and uh, I consider him a friend. So I'm going to pray for his health. We also want to pray for my mom. Now, we've been praying for my mom for her health, and so I have a little bit of a praise report here. My mom, uh, we got her test results back. There is uh, nothing for us to be concerned about. Uh, she's For a 76-year-old woman, she is in very good health. So um, with that, we just still want to pray for her salvation. So we, we want to thank the Lord for her health, and we want to thank the Lord to work in her for her salvation. Uh, we also want to pray for my sister, for her salvation, my granddaughter, for her salvation. I, we have a friend, David, back in New York, who's, uh, who's lost and needs salvation as well. Uh, we also want to pray for my in-laws, for their salvation. And then we also want to pray for, the, for our kids that are away at, uh, at, at Bible camp. We want to pray that they have a great time of fellowship as they, as they meet other believers in Christ and, and they have a great time of, of study and, and building those friendships and bonds and all around the cross of Jesus Christ. We also want to pray for uh, Brother George and Sister Ruby who are traveling with the kids to camp. And, Lord, uh, we, you would just want to make sure that uh, we pray for them and they're traveling, that they would have that protection and safety and that they would uh, be able to get home safely. Uh, we also want to pray for, for Jackie, for Jasmine and Guillermo. Uh, Jasmine and Guillermo are Jackie's children. Uh, they're dealing with some, some pretty serious health concerns right now. I'm not at liberty to say specifically what they are. But uh, they do need our prayers for their health and, of course, uh, if they're not saved, their salvation as well. We also want to pray for Liz, who's dealing with some, uh, some workplace stress, and we want to make sure that we pray for that as well. And also we want to pray for Reuben, who's uh, dealing with uh, a pretty nasty flu. So, uh, our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for hearing our prayers. Father, we lift up each person here on our prayer list for their health. We th we're thinking of Bernice and Adam, Pastor Martin. Uh, we're thinking of, uh, uh, of Jackie and Jasmine and Guillermo. Uh, Lord, we're thinking of Reuben. And Lord, for Liz, for her uh, for, for the workplace stress. Lord, we also want to pray for those that are on our prayer list for salvation. Uh, my mom, my sister, granddaughter, my friend David, and, uh, and of course my in-laws. Lord, we pray for them. We just lift them up to you. We ask you, Lord, that you would just touch each one of them according to their need. And, Lord, if there are any unspoken prayer requests out there, Lord, we just pray that, uh, that you would answer those according to your perfect will. And we will thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, in the spirit of Independence Day, uh, today we're going to study the Christian's Bill of Rights. But before we get into that, uh, we're going to take a very short break. That'll give you a chance to go grab your King James Bible, grab your coffee, grab your bottle of water. And then when we get back, we'll get into today's Bible study. So stay with us. We'll be right back. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. 
and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. Well, all right. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello. And, uh, you know, in preparation for this, I took into consideration that, uh, you know, we're going to be uh, broadcasting this on the uh, 4th of July, Independence Day. So uh, I took it to studying some history. And I, I realized that, you know, history reveals many things to us. And one of the things that it does reveal to us can be summed up in one statement. And that statement is, the only thing men learn from history is that men don't learn from history. If we had learned from history, we would probably have done a few things very, very differently. Another historian wrote this. The history of nations shows a cycle or a sequence of events, uh, a chronological order that always seems doomed to repeat itself. And here's the sequence. The history of nations shows that a people go from bondage to spiritual faith. Now, some of you may have heard this before. It's, it's not any, you know, grand breaking revelation or anything like that. Um, but it's difficult for me to ascertain what condition America was in in 1775, 76, and so on, because, you know, I wasn't alive then, and I'm pretty sure that none of you were either. Uh, you know, it was deemed by many that we were in some kind of a state of bondage to the British Empire. Uh, interestingly, for whatever you might think about that, history reveals that our forefathers had really no particular problem discussing, discussing spiritual truths. In those days, they, re they rather chose to cling tenaciously to some kind of a faith. Uh, they made no apologies about frequently discussing God, the very necessary intervention of God in their affairs, and the inalienable rights given by God. And we, we spoke about those last week. So God was a personality that permeated their discussion on all levels. So they went from bondage to spiritual faith, and from spiritual faith to courage from courage to freedom, and freedom has always been obtained at a great price, has it not? And it was, uh, it was very necessary for courage to be involved in that. From freedom to abundance, and I don't think any nation has enjoyed more abundance than we have. From abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, and from dependency to bondage. Now, I don't know where you'd place us on that chart, but in, in my estimation... I would put us in that dependency category, just one step away from bondage. Now, today, political candidates make very few and very ambiguous de declarations as to where they stand on any particular issue. Yet, there seems to be a great deal of interest on the part of the American public of these people and their candidacies for all levels of office of uh, what can he do for me? 
What can he do for me through the vehicle of government? What can he do for us? And I think that's a wrong way to look at it. You know, I'm not interested in what government can do for me. I really don't want government to do anything for me. Every time they try, they just mess it up. The only thing I want government to do is what it was designed to do and supposed to do as our forefathers envisioned it. And that is to protect my right to do for myself. That's all that I want them to do. Nothing more than that. Protect my right to do for myself. If I want to build a house that's destined to fall down, then let me build it. If I want to drive down a road without a seatbelt and kill myself, let me do it. I resent their interference. But I see in America a land of great dependency, where more and more people are depending upon the government. Eventually, you get to the place where you depend on government so much that they put you into bondage. So the thing that would would appear that it's gone almost full circle in these last 244 years, wouldn't you say? But that's not really the issue that I want to address today. Uh, That's kind of just a springboard to get you thinking. Today, I want to bring something to your attention that perhaps you never thought of before. I hadn't until I'd done, until I'd done, until I did some brainstorming about this and, and thinking, thinking of it in the light of Scripture. If you take your Bible and turn with me over to Exodus chapter 20, today I'd like to discuss with you the Christian's Bill of Rights. Father, we thank you for this time, and Lord, we ask you to bless your word and bless the preaching. Father, help us to understand these truths that are in your word and our rights as Christians, as you've laid them out for us in the scripture. And I'll thank you for it, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, when our American forefathers framed the Constitution, it wasn't long after that that they penned the first ten amendments. These are often referred to as the Bill of Rights. All right, Uh, We hear those amendments referred to frequently in political discussions around this country. For example, the First Amendment has to do with free speech. The Second Amendment has to do with the right to bear arms. So you hear about these amendments frequently, and they're frequently resorted to and appealed to by different groups to, um, to uh, substantiate their position on any particular issue. Now, I believe that God has given the child of God, the Christian, a Bill of Rights. And I think those rights are framed in the Ten Commandments. Now, generally, we wouldn't look at it that way. Some would look at a commandment as something interfering with their rights. Some would look at a commandment as something that would be impeding their right to live as they want to. But I would have to disagree with that. I'd have to say that anytime God gives you an admonition, anytime God gives you a commandment, uh, in, in reality, God is looking after your best interest. God is giving you a right, if you please. Now, as I begin to look at this, I said, you know, what we have here is a bill of rights that God has declared. And as I as I mentioned these things, because there are 10 of them, I'm not going to have time to elaborate on any one particular commandment. But I encourage you to let your thinking process run at random. I hope you'll continue to listen, but at the same time, engage your imagination and, and, and think of a lot of things. I mean, and how it applies to your life. Now, I'm not going to be able to cover every aspect of life with these with with these but I'm going to give you what came to my mind as I was preparing it. You know, you may come up with something I hadn't even thought of. You know, I want you to think on terms of how these rights are being attacked. If God has given the child of God a bill of rights, then it just makes sense that the devil's going to do all in his power to attack those rights. He's going to do everything he can to erode away and undermine those God-given rights. And I find those rights contained here in the 10 commandments. 
Now, I'm not going to start from the beginning to the end. I'm going to kind of reverse the order and, and end where God starts. And that is with all the emphasis upon him. And that's where God starts. So we're going to go from back to front. Okay, you follow me? We're going to go back to front. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to begin in verse number 17. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, I want you to keep your finger there and look with me over in Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22 and verse number 2. God expands upon that in these verses, okay? Exodus 22 and verse 2. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall, be, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. Now, all right, let me tell you what that translates into when you think of it in the terms of a bill of rights. All right, God said, thou shalt not covet what the other guy has. That means that you shouldn't covet what I have and I shouldn't covet what you have. You know what that is? That's a right to protect. Now, if I didn't have a right to protect, God would not have said, thou shalt not covet. Amen? God would have said, just open your door and let everybody come in and help themselves. So I have a God-given declaration to protect that which I have and which God has graciously given me. Now, now don't you see that through the system that you and I function today that there's been a great attack against that right? They don't want you to have a gun in your home to protect against someone coveting what you have. When a thief breaks in, he's coveting what does not belong to him. Now you say, are you opposed to the system? Listen, I am a flag-waving American and a patriot through and through. But I am disappointed greatly in our country. I'm discouraged about the plight of America. When I look at it from the viewpoint that we're discussing today especially... I see that there's been a great undermining effort, effort, and I believe it's satanically inspired to erode, to erode away from us these God-given rights, the Christian's Bill of Rights. So I say to you that we have the right to protect. And now any effort made by, by the Senate or by uh, Congress or Nancy Pelosi or, or the, the present resident in the White House or any others to erode away that right is purely anti-God, anti-biblical, and anti-American. We fervently need to stand on these rights because it was God who designed them. I have the right to protect. So you can see how each one of these could be a sermon of themselves, right? All right, but that's not all. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now, that parallels an amendment in the Constitution that says that we have a right to a fair and speedy trial. The system has been designed and is, and is, and is so constructed where a thing can just drag out forever. And I have an illustration I'd like to give you. There was a pastor in upstate New York some years ago, uh, and there was a lady that was attending his church that came into a substantial sum of money. She didn't earn it, but nonetheless, she got it. And it was her desire to give a good amount of that money to the church, which she did. She gave it with the understanding that it, at any gift that's given to a church is just that, a gift. 
Well, sometime later, she got mad at the pastor. And, you know, that does happen. You know, it's a shock, but it does. Uh, she was upset with him because he wasn't doing things the way she thought they should, they should happen. Now, some folks try to buy that kind of power. And obviously, to me anyway, that was her motive. So she got upset with this pastor, and, and uh, she began to spread some pretty vicious rumors about him and lies. And eventually, she found a crooked lawyer who agreed to take him to court and sue for the money back. Now, of course, the church had already spent the money on improving the physical facilities, so there was no money left. There was nothing there. It was gone. It had been spent. Judiciously, of course, and well, but it had been spent. But she sued this pastor, and this thing had drug on and on and on. Every time it was about to come to trial, she told her lawyer to put, it, put the thing off, knowing, just knowing, that it was adding anguish and misery to that preacher's life and to his ministry. He had been robbed of the opportunity of a fair and speedy trial to settle this matter and put it to bed. Why? Because she bore false witness against him. Now, you see how that right that you have, if someone bears false witness against you, you have the right biblically to settle the thing, to get the thing taken care of one way or the other. Oh, but there's a satanic attack to drag these kinds of things and issues on and on and on and on. Now, let's look at verse 15. Exodus 20, verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. That's a God-given right to own private property. Now, whether that private property is in the form of real estate, a car, a gun, a fishing rod, a TV set, a couch, whatever it is, and I'm sure you get the idea, but whatever it is, you have a God-given right to own private property. If God didn't want you to own private property... He never would have said, don't steal. Now, there are those who would like to eradicate that right from you. The, uh, the World Economic Forum with Agenda 2030. You should look that up. Look that up. In 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy. That's what they tell you. So there are some that own property, real estate, where some of it could, have, could be and has been construed by some misguided bureaucrats into being protected property like wetlands and woodlands or forest. You know, a buddy of mine owns property in New Jersey, and it's about two acres. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, no, it's about three acres, and two acres of it has been deemed protected forest. Now, he owns it. He bought it. He paid for it. But he can't use it. It's not his property. It was stolen without compensation. But he still pays taxes on it. Stolen. You know, we didn't have these kinds of problems in America when America was a Bible-reading people. Because people innately and instinctively understood that there was something wrong with that kind of thinking. That doesn't make sense. But when America laid down her Bibles and forsook going to church where the Bible was taught and preached, and we have been possessed with that kind of erratic mentality that's leading us down the wrong path. You have the right to own property. Hence, God says, thou shalt not steal. There are folks that are, that are living on fixed incomes that are losing the right to own private property because the government steals it through increased property taxes. They just continue to jump them up. You know, God pity those folks that have little cottages as homes that they bought 30 or 40 years ago. And they're still paying property taxes on it. They don't own it. The bank owns it. The government owns it. Property taxes have increased I, I had a number here somewhere. I, I can't seem to find it, but 
it increased a staggering amount just over the last couple of years. Someone is stealing. They're just thieves. That's all they are. It's just a complete disregard for what God says. Thou shalt not steal. That's not all. Verse 14. Verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You know what that is? Do you know what that is? That's my right to purity. Purity. That's my right to purity. And I was reading an article in a, in a Christian magazine that I get about a pastor and his family, young children, that moved to Las Vegas. And they moved there to start a church. But one of the things that struck me was a quote from the wife. She said that since they moved to Las Vegas, whenever she had to load the kids up in the car to go someplace, she found herself having to plot back roads routes so she didn't have to travel the main roads and expose them to the obscene billboards that are all over the community. You know what the people in Las Vegas have done? They've done their best to rob families of the right to purity. You know what TV has done? It's done its best to rob your family of the right of purity. You know what the public schools are doing when they, when they pass out condoms or they have drag queens come in and, and read stories to the children? They're robbing your kids of the right to purity. If you're going to maintain, pure, if you're going to maintain purity in this age, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight tooth and nail for it. Every source in society is against it. They want to rob you of a God-given right. You know, don't look at it as a burden. Don't look at it as oppressive. Don't look at it as something you can't put up with. Look at it as a right and a blessing. Well, how about verse 13? Verse 13, thou shalt not kill. Well, you know what that is? That's a right to life. Amen? That's a right to life. You know, I attended a function a few years ago, and I was sitting at a table with about eight other people, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but we started talking about how old our parents were when we were born. And almost everyone at the table said their mothers were at least in their 30s, you know, somewhere in their 40s. Um, and we went around the whole table, and, and it kind of came out of my mouth, and I didn't really think about it. I said, aren't you glad that abortion wasn't even a thought to your mom and dad when we were born? How many of us wouldn't be here? Now, now knowing that all of my friends did not share my spiritual and political sympathies, it just got really, really quiet. Very quiet. I mean, what were they going to say? Would you like to be an abortion statistic? Not me. Not me, thank you. Do you know what America has done? They've attacked the right to life. Attack it, attack it, attack it. Every way they could conceive, they attack it, attack it, attack it. But that's not all. Let's look at verse 12. Verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Do you know what that right is right there? That's my right to respect. A God-given right to respect. Now again, don't you see how the attack has been leveled? Your children are programmed in every way they can be conceivably programmed that their parents know nothing. Watch channels like Nickelodeon. Watch shows on Disney. The parents are always portrayed as dumb and bumbling fools, while the children are often portrayed as the intelligent ones and the savvy ones. The parents are idiots. The parents are stupid. 
Don't listen to your parents. Listen to us. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. You're robbing me and my kids of the right to respect. And that right of respect is linked with a long life on the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee. Don't rob me of that respect. My parents deserve respect and honor. The Bible declares it, and I believe it to be so. Don't run around and call your parents the old man and the old lady. Don't talk back to them. You know, kids, if you're listening to this, by the time you turn 25 or 30, you're going to be amazed at what they've learned. You're going to be shocked at what they know. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I know for myself that as, as I've gotten older in my life, I appreciated my dad's wisdom. And I wish in a lot of ways that my dad wasn't in heaven right now because I would love to talk to him about a few things. The right of respect. The right of respect. That's not all. Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8. Now, obviously, I'm just hitting these things really quick because there are so many of them. But I want you to think with me. You can see that because this is God's book. And the devil hates God's book. The attack has really been satanically inspired. Has it not? Attack the book, attack the book, attack the book. And in, and in attacking the book, he's attacking the very rights that God has given you. These aren't burdens. These are rights. Thank God for them. Thank God for the right to purity. I don't have to go to bed at night worrying about syphilis and gonorrhea and AIDS and, and, and whatever else crazy diseases out there now. Amen? I've got a right to purity. Verse 8. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. And rest of the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now we know, and uh, I think if you've listened to any other episodes that we've done uh, or heard me preaching, I think I've made it clear that we are not under obligation to keep the Sabbath day as presented in the Ten Commandments. We're not. The Apostle Paul made that very clear. The Sabbath day was given as a sign in Ezekiel chapter 20. In Ezekiel chapter 20, the sign is for the Jew. All of the other commandments are reiterated somewhere in the Pauline epistles, and they're certainly active in the church age. However, I'm not under an obligation from a moral sense to keep the Sabbath day holy. I am not a Jew. I am not part of that kingdom. And so on. All right? We understand that. Well, I hope you understand that. But, you, but do you know what that is? Purely from a Christian right standpoint? This is my right to rest. My right to rest. Now, years ago, we decided in America to open every business that we possibly could on a Sunday. One of the biggest problems we have in getting folks to church is getting around their work schedule. So many people are working. Because we have every kind of business in the world open out there. That's an attack on you and your right to rest and to serve the Lord as you choose. Attack, attack it, attack it. Undermine it, erode it away. Let's do away with these God-given rights. All right, verse 7. Let's take a look at verse 7. 
Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So do you know what that is? That's my right to respect holiness. I have a God-given right to respect holiness. There are a lot of people that don't want to allow me this right. Do you know who the most discriminated people in America are? I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's worth it. Do you know who the most discriminated people in America are? Do you know who they are? Do you know who the real minority in America is? You know who it is. It's not based on color or nationality. Color doesn't have a thing to do with it. I'll tell you who the real minority in America is. It's folks that want to keep this book first place in their life. That's the real minority. The real minority in America is someone who's trying to build their life on that book. You talk about being assaulted. You talk about being a target. It's just like you're walking around with a big red and white target on your chest all the time. By the time I say I have a right to respect holiness, some dodo in a booth in a restaurant right next to me is taking the name of, the name of God in vain with every other breath. Or there's somebody on the television cursing God every time you turn around. They even do it in the newspapers. You can't get away from it. When I was back in New York, I was having lunch with a pastor friend of mine in a restaurant, and there was a couple, I mean, having a knockdown, drag-out fight. I mean, a man and a woman, verbal fisticuffs right outside the place, cursing and swearing as loud as they could possibly be. Man, I had this overwhelming compulsion to go out to my car, get a tire iron, and, and club them over the head. You know why? Because they're robbing me of a right that God gave me. A right to respect holiness. I don't consider thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain a burden. I don't consider it uh, that I don't I don't consider that a great big heavy thou shalt not that God put on me. I consider it a right, a privilege, a joy. But I guess in today's society it's all according to how you look at it, isn't it? Well, how about verse four? Verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? It's my right to worship. That's it right there. I've got a right to worship. Now, there's those that would take that away from me. Don't you dare worship in a public school. Don't you dare worship on the courthouse lawn. And if you listen to the advocates of, 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 of the left side of the political spectrum here long enough, and in all fairness, even the right side too, uh, uh, they'll tell you that you don't even have a right to have a worship service in your home because you'll be infringing on the rights of the children. Never considering that the child has a right to worship. I have a right to worship, thank you. I'll continue to exercise it, regardless of what anybody says. I'll continue to do that. I'll continue to do that. Before we get into this last one, which is God's right, before we get into the last one, we're going to take a short break and we'll come back in just a few, moment, few moments, this is the Sword of the Spirit podcast, and we'll be right back.
All right, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and we're studying tonight, uh, today, we are studying uh, the Christian's Bill of Rights out of Exodus chapter 20, and we're about to get to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. This is, th- this, this is the last right that we're going to talk about tonight. This last one is God's right. God has listed nine bills of rights for the Christian, if you please. The last one is God's right. Verse 2. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you know what that is? That's God's right to be worshipped. Now, if there's a devil, and there is, and he's opposed to these rights as we've discussed them, and he is, then you can just well be assured of the fact that he will attempt to take the worship that rightfully belongs to God and somehow concentrate it upon himself because he is a thief and a liar. He has coveted in his heart what belongs to another. Therefore, he has stolen to the best of his ability what belongs to God. That is the right to be worshipped. That's God's right. And I declare to you that he has that right, and I'm going to give my allegiance to his right to be worshipped. Thank God that there have been a few over the ages that have done just that. In preparing this, I was going through some files, and I found a letter that uh, somebody has sent to me, oh, I can't even tell you how long ago, years ago. Um, in, in some kind of a relationship, though, when I was reading it, I think you'll see how this has to do with God's right to be worshipped. This is a copy of a letter that was dictated by a British private to his wife in England on June the 18th, 1775, shortly after the Battle of Bunker, also known as Breed's Hill. So now I'm going to give you the other side of the picture today, all right? Naturally, when we think about the Revolutionary War, what do we think about? We think about the American struggle, the American fight, the American independence, uh, American freedom, and that's all good. That's real good. But right now, what I want to do is I want to read you this letter from a British private to his wife. I quote, My dearest love, Before these lines reach you, grim death will have swept me off the stage of life, and filthy reptiles will be feeding on that form once so dear to you. No more shall you repose in these arms, no more shall these eyes, now swimming in the shades of death, behold your lovely person, or gaze with delight on you or my dear infants. Yesterday we had a bloody and obstinate fight in which we had a great numbers killed and wounded. I received one ball in my groin and another in my breast. I am now so weak with the loss of blood that I can hardly dictate these few lines as the last tribute of my unchanging love to you. The surgeons inform me that three hours will be the utmost I can survive. Alas, too true was the, was the dire presage which brooded in my mind that we should never meet again on this side of an awful eternity. On our passage from England to America, I gave myself up to reading the Bible, it being the only book that I was possessed of. The Almighty Parent of Mankind was pleased to draw my heart to him by the sweet attractions of his grace, and at the same time to enlighten my mind. There was in our regiment a corporal whose name was Pierce, a pious man. I inquired after him. We soon contracted a strong friendship. He was pleased to explain to me the amazing love of God in giving his son, Jesus Christ, to bleed and die for mankind. He condescended to unfold to me the mystery of salvation by faith, the nature of the new birth, and the great necessity of holiness of heart and life. In short, he became my spiritual father, and to him, under God, I owe all the good I am acquainted with. Soon after we landed, God was pleased to speak peace to my soul. Oh, the bliss, the unutterable joy that I felt. 
through the blood of the lamb, how I longed to tell the whole world that Jesus, what Jesus had done for me. But how, how did I long, yea, burn, to have you, my dear love, to taste and know the love of God in Christ Jesus? I would have given the world to have been with you, to have informed you of the pearl of great price. My dear love, as we shall never meet on this veil, on this veil of tears, let me impose this last, this dying obligation upon you. And if I ever was dear to you, let me beg of you not to neglect the last advice of your departing husband, which is that you may give yourself up to God, read the Bible and good books, and be often found among them who inquire after salvation, and the Lord will guide you in this way. And oh, endeavor to bring up the dear little ones in the fear of God. Oh, never fix your heart upon the vain and unsubstantial things of this world. Heaven and the love of God are the only things that demand our hearts, or are worthy of engrossing them. <clears throat> now I'll continue in a second, but uh, just let me insert this one thought here, okay? Thank God for a British corporal on a ship headed for war in America named Pierce. Thank God for this man who stood in the midst of great many rogues and ruffians on his Christian Bill of Rights, on his right to purity, who stood, who stood on his right to respect, to reverence holiness. It became obvious, and it became known. And when there was an inquiring and hungry heart, he knew who to go to. He knew the man who stood out from the rest who might possibly give him the answer concerning eternity and his soul. Thank God for Corporal Pierce, whoever he is. We know where he is. The letter continues. You are yet young, nor can I wish you not to enter again into the marriage state when I am cold and in the dust. But let me give you some advice. Marry with no one, however handsome or rich he may be, unless he fears and loves God. That is the only thing needful. During the four years we cohabitated together, many things occurred which I forbear mentioning, but as, I've, as I have obtained pardon of God, my awful judge, for all I have done, I most humbly beg of you that you would pardon me whereinsoever I have offended you. And I most heartily acquit you of anything that you have done to disoblige me. I have been a worthless husband to you, and an undutiful son to my parents, and a vile rebel against my God. O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I die in peace with all the world. I die in full assurance of eternal glory. A few moments, and my soul shall be ranged amongst the disembodied spirits in the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are written in heaven. O oh my love, I beg of you. I beseech you, I charge you, to meet me in the realms of glory. O oh, fly to the arms of the once-bleeding Jesus. O oh, cry to him day and night, and he will hear and bless you. And you, my dear infants, though you have not the perfect knowledge of your worthless father, I beg of you to meet me in the realms of bliss. The God who blessed Jacob and Joseph will bless you. Seek him, and he will be found of you. Call upon him, and he will hear and bless you. What has this world but sin and sorrow? The rich are oppressed with their wealth. The poor are groaning for the want of that which others are burdened with. The men of power are afflicted with holding the reins and guiding the helm. The governed are oppressed with imaginary evils. The life of a soldier is blood and cruelty, and that of a sailor dangers and death. A city life is full of confusion and strife. A country life is loaded with toil and labor. But the greatest of all evils flow from our own sinful nature. Wherever we are, we may be happy. We carry the key of bliss in our breast. 
The world itself never yet made anyone happy. God alone is the bliss of a reasonable soul. And he is everywhere present, and we have everywhere free access to him. Learn then, my dear children, when you grow up, to seek for permanent happiness in God through a crucified Redeemer. My dear wife, should the spirits of the departed have any knowledge of things here below, and at the same time any intercourse with them, though unseen, how shall I rejoice to be thy guardian angel, to attend you, and smile to you, and smile to see you combat sin, conquer the world, and subdue the flesh? How shall I smile to meet thee on the bright frontiers of heaven? These hands shall weave for you with joy the wreath triumphant. I first will hail you welcome to our native mansions. I first shall guide you, guide your conquering feet to the celestial city and introduce you to the jubilant throng who, th who tread the streets of the new Jerusalem. I first will lead thee to the sacred throne of our God, where we will together bow, transported, at the sublime seat of the ever-adorable Jesus. Then, then will we strike our melodious harps of gold in the most exalted strains of harmony and love. Then shall our love be consummated, refined, and eternalized. The world recedes, it disappears. Heaven opens on my eyes, my ears. With sounds seraphic ring, lend, lend your wings. I mount, I fly. O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? Dear love, more would I say, but life ebbs out of pace. My senses cease to perform their office. Bright angels stand around the gory turf on which I lie, ready to escort me to the arms of my Jesus. Bending sates reveal my shining crown and beckon me away. Yea, methinks my Jesus bids me come. Adieu, adieu, dear love, adieu. Signed, I, John Randon, Private, His Majesty's Army. Well, I think it's safe to say that he's met the captain of his salvation, right, folks? Destined to be part of a far, far greater army. One who will return and someday put into subjection those that would disdain the Christian's Bill of Rights, the Word of God. And with that, folks, we've come to the end of today's episode. I want to say thank you so much to every one of you that have been tuning in for the last several weeks. And thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for taking the time out of your day and out of your busy lives to, to be with us here at the Sword of the Spirit podcast. And I hope these lessons have been a blessing to you in this past first season. Uh, coming up next week, we're just to remind, we're not going to be uh, having any uh, Bible study. We'll be continuing on to the next season shortly after, probably about a week. So until the, we meet again, may God bless you, may God keep you, and good day.
while I'm free. 